Election Day here in Arizona, and the big story right now, issues with some tabulation machines at voting centers in Maricopa County. Yeah, some of the machines not working, leaving voters very frustrated, fed up. So we've got live team coverage this afternoon. Lindsay Regis kind of ching up with voters at some of those locations. But we begin first with Anita Roman, who's live at the elections office. Anita, what a morning it has been already. Yes, absolutely. A lot of people have a lot of questions about what's happening. Can you show you the machine and talk a little bit about what I do know, and then we're going to talk to Bill Gates about the very latest. So uh, when you're voting in Maricopa County, uh, the, the ballot can actually be counted right away. You put your ballot in right here. And my understanding is some of the machines are having issues. They're spitting the ballot back out. So what you can do and what they're suggesting you can do is you can actually fold the ballot up, put it in here securely, and then we will have someone from both the Republican and Democrat side collect the ballots. They will bring them back here to the election office where they will be counted. Those votes will be counted at some point by tomorrow. So- hey, Gary, this is doing. This is Richard Barron with the Election Insider podcast. We were just listening to an audio clip from Maricopa County, which based on what happened after 2020 when they had to do all of those recounts and then they had the cyber ninjas in there going through all their ballots again, this is a county that doesn't need this publicity. And we'll get into that soon. Hey, Rick, the, the, the Bill Gates that they just said, is it the actual Bill Gates? No, no, this it's the election supervisor. Oh, okay. But uh, so we'll go, we'll go into that here shortly. Because you know he's implanting 5G chips in all of us, the, the actual Bill Gates. So I just want to make sure that he's now, he's now gotten his hands into the elections too. <laughs> Jesus, Bill <laughs> Gates. When I read that, I was like, why is Bill Gates involved in this? I know. But yeah, this is Richard Barron with the Election Insider Podcast. I got Gary Vaughn here. He is the host of the Daily Stock Picks Podcast and my co-host, Gary. You, wait until the listeners hear this. Oh. Gary had a very interesting flight last week Oh yeah, between L.A. and or between Atlanta and LA. Why don't you tell us about this? And, and and you can Google it. I think it's um Atlanta flight from LA to from Atlanta to LA diverted to Albuquerque. So essentially what happened was we were about two hours into the flight and I'm watching from scratch on Netflix, which is a, a super emotional. I'm bawling my eyes out at this damn Netflix show. Um and all of a sudden I look up and somebody yells fire and I I think we were over Oklahoma or something. We were over the middle of the country and I looked up and I couldn't see the row in front of me. The smoke was that bad. Um, And that was within like 15 seconds because I could see my iPad. I looked up, I could see something, I could see smoke. And then I just couldn't see anything. Um, I was on the left side of the plane. The fire was on the right side of the plane. And when I looked out the window, all I wanted to see was were the flaps working. And the flaps were working. So at that point, I was like, okay, maybe we have a fire. It probably will go out. Nothing will explode because, you know, planes aren't, are built pretty well these days to not explode and to deal with that. Well, and you, did you tell them where the fire was? Well, we didn't know at this point. Oh, okay. It was just, it was literally just smoke in the cockpit. But at that point in time, when, when you couldn't see anything, um, just like in crash movies, um, you hear people screaming, people crying, babies crying. 
the woman beside me is screaming that she was going to die, um, you know, crying. And there was a family behind me bawling their eyes out. Um, I didn't think it was going to be that bad because I saw the flaps moving and the plane never made a jerk or anything. We were flying pretty well. Immediately, you hear the engines just die. So we're gliding at this point. Um, then, yeah. Um, but I know enough about planes that it can glide its way down no problem. Um, because it used to glide all the way from space to the ground. Right. And so, you know, you've got enough speed and you can glide and, and everything should be fine because there's plenty of airports to land at it with an emergency in, in any part of this country. So, um, then the flight attendant comes on and goes, uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's obvious that we have an engine problem. The, uh, the pilot is looking at it now. And I heard a guy across the aisle said, the plane just, the, the engine just caught fire. And so then I got a little bit nervous because I could only see the left side of the plane. I couldn't see the right side of the plane. But what was interesting was it was probably a minute or two. And, you know, we all know about air recirculation in planes because of COVID. Um, I got to tell you, within a minute or two, I could see a few rows in front of me. What was strange to me was the masks never deployed. Um, never. And I don't know if that's an FAA thing, when to deploy them, but the mask never deployed. The, the flight attendants told us to breathe through our shirts. I had a face mask on that, you know, to go to sleep with that I was kind of semi wearing. So I just put that over my mouth. Um, but it probably took us 10 minutes, 20 minutes to hear from the pilot. Um, and the pilot said, uh, we've had an oil issue. Uh, the right engine is not working. We're perfectly fine. We're going to land in Albuquerque. We're not sure if we're going to need to deploy, uh, to exit via the, the safety ramps or not. Um, so be prepared. And so, um, then he came on a little bit later. You could tell that they had checked out, they flew down and somebody had checked out that the landing gear was down. Um, visually. So he said, landing gear is good. We should be fine. Everything was good. It was a super smooth landing, but that 40, you know, for 20 to 40 minutes that we were in the air, uh, it was, oh, it, Jesus. yeah, it was, it was a little hair, uh, you know, well, and, and I ran into a pilot who was deadheading, um, on the plane. He w had just flown in from, uh, from Tokyo. He said, he was flying home from Atlanta to LA and um, he said he was on the right side of the plane and he looked out and he saw the, he knew exactly what happened. He said there was a bearing seal that broke. And so the right engine lost all of its oil. So he said the pilot definitely knew exactly what happened. The engine had no oil whatsoever. So the fire that we saw was probably from the engine running with no oil. Uh, and anybody that knows an engine that runs with no oil, it sometimes can uh, cause some shrapnel to come out. It can sometimes spin too fast and, and you have some bigger issues than just a little fire. So, um, you know, commendation to the, the team up there. I am currently uh, in discussions with Delta as to what to compensate me with because they, they gave me, so it was a thousand dollar ticket. Um, they gave me $150 and oh, I said, you know what? Hey, at the very least you should give me the thousand dollar ticket round trip ticket back. Um, what was interesting. And, and if anybody from Delta is listening, 
horrible way to treat a passenger who was just in this because I would have expected at least on the flight back, Mr. Vaughn, we understand you had a problem with your flight out. We're going to upgrade you to first class on the way back. We're going to upgrade upgrade you to comfort level on the way back now. And then I, I even changed my flight, Rick, on the way back and they uh-huh. charged me. They charged me. I mean, again, they, you know, they, they almost kill me in midair. <laughs> and like, Here's a $150 credit. So, well, I mean, you could have died from the smoke inhalation. Mm-hmm. Well, and it, at first, and the reason why I looked out at the flaps was it smelled, it didn't smell like an oil fire at all. It smelled like an electronic fire. Um, it smelled like plastics burning. And I was afraid that if he didn't have control of the flaps and the, the plane actually lost some altitude or did something that we were going to have a bigger issue um, than we actually did. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I probably breathed in some things that you shouldn't breathe in. And and they did, again, they didn't drop the mask. So who knows what I breathed in? Um, but I will tell you, I, I, I have no problem flying without a mask now, knowing that the air circulation is that good. Because literally, I couldn't see the row in front of me. Um, no, those are mostly for decompression, aren't they? I don't know. Um, I, I honestly, I, I was just, you know, it's funny because the pictures that you see online and the videos that you see online, nobody got the full view of how much smoke there was. Well, and, you and I, flashed all over the Daily Mail from yeah, the Daily Mail. Well, what's crazy is, you know, there's a guy named Wiener uh, on, and, and all my friends text me, Hey, you're on the bottom side of Wiener. <laughs> um, but yeah, they, they, I was on the, I got calls from ABC. I posted just the landing after we landed, the captain kind of spoke and said, Hey, sit in your seats. We're not going to deploy from the ramps. And I posted that on Twitter and then ABC, NBC. Um, I don't think CBS reached out. There were a couple of newspapers that reached out, and the Daily Mail reached out. Um, and you t- and- did you take a selfie of yourself while you were in the air? No, no, oh. no, no. That was before uh, I had oh. my B reel came up, and and for you know, yeah, I'm a boomer, but I got all my friends' kids on B reel. It's an app that it texts you, hey, within the next two minutes you have to post. And so I took, I, I got the alert, so I was going to post that when I landed because I didn't have Wi Fi in the air to post it. So I took the picture um, and it was going to post when I landed. So I, I wound up just putting that picture up and um, there were a couple of things, but yeah, I, I, my friend, it was, you'll, you'll appreciate this. My friend Jeff said, um, Gary, what the fuck you, you tape yourself for hours walking through the fucking woods. You get into a fucking plane that's crashing and you don't think to take out your fucking phone. <laughs> <laughs> oh because you so, do GoPro while you're while you're yeah well i do insta 360 and shout out if insta 360 wants to give me a camera but um yeah i've got an insta 360 it's a 360 degree camera and you just hold it on a selfie stick and yeah, so, that selfie stick disappears yeah. when you're doing it yeah because it, it, it showed me some videos you did where uh yeah and you can't see this the stick yeah, because when it when the two images you have two 180 degree images and it syncs them together and then through software it actually takes out the stick and artificial intelligence fills in the stick with whatever the other background is. So there's, really there's cool. some distortion in the picture and stuff, but you know, listen, if I don't have to 
assume that a, a shot is framed right with a GoPro that's only 180 degrees and I can do 360, I'm happy with it. But yeah, yeah, my friend Jeff was like, dude, I, I didn't, and honestly, nobody whipped out their phone, you know, during that bad part because we were all afraid we were going to die. Oh, Jesus. So, yeah. But the other epic thing that I had, Rick, I was actually flying to the MLS finals. Uh-huh. And um, I work kind of the badge duty, it's credentials for on field and kind of VIP. And it was funny because MLS, I worked till halftime. And then at halftime, I get to go watch the game. And MLS had given us some great seats. Um, so we walked down to the seats. And uh, when Philadelphia scored, uh, we kind of were close to the beer shower that happened, uh, which is not something that I enjoy getting showered in beer because we were at the bottom of the seats. So I, I told my partner, Nikki, I said, hey, let's go up to the press box. We've got the badges. We, we, you know, we, we, we had approval to go pretty much anywhere in the st- stadium based on our, our badges. So we go up to the press box and I'm kind of looking in the luxury suites. and. Um, uh, this woman comes up to me and she goes, can I help you? And I said, no, we're just looking for a luxury suite that's not totally filled where we can kind of just blend in and say hi. We did the badges. And she goes, oh, you did the badges? I said, yeah. She goes, did you print the owner of the Philadelphia Union? I said, yeah, I did. I said, you know, by who? because the Philadelphia Union folks had forgotten to submit for a credential for the owner. So 30 minutes prior to the game, I got this emergency text, hey, print this person. I said, okay, we'll print it up. We gave it to uh, a VIP who ran it up to the owner. The owner probably never knew uh, something, but it turns out this woman was the woman who was supposed to request a badge for him. So she was so thankful to us. She goes, the, the, the box that you're looking in right now is the owner suite. Uh, Come in and meet him because he wants to say thank you. (laughs) So bucket list 101 is when the owner of a team in a championship match of a major sporting league invites you into the box, you go and watch the game with that guy. Were you in there until the end? I was in there till the end. It was interesting because uh, if you watch the game, Philadelphia scored with like five minutes left to go in the second overtime. Uh And so they were going to win. The MLS folks came in and said, hey, for trophy presentation, stay here. We will escort you down. So Nikki and I were like, dude, this is like total wedding crashers because all the MLS folks are going to see us up accepting the freaking trophy <laughs> with the owners. Um, but you know, I, we wouldn't have done it, but but we, we, we had the opportunity to if Philadelphia had won. But it, unbelievable game. Uh, L.A. came back and scored within like a minute of that when they were playing one man down because they had gotten a red card, gruesome injury to the goalie of the, and if the goalie ever listens to this podcast, um, God forbid, I I mean, that guy is missing the world cup because of broken leg, but he won the championship because had he not broken his leg blocking this, uh, this uh, breakaway by the Philadelphia player, Philadelphia would have scored and it would have been over. No doubt in my mind. Because that would have made it four, three. Now, I think it was uh, three. It would have made it three, two at that point. It wound up, I think it was three, three. Yeah. Philadelphia didn't perform very well in the shootout, but had he not broken his leg, that Philadelphia breakaway would have scored. Now they wound up scoring a couple minutes later um, on the backup goalie. 
Um, but I think the game would have taken a, a significantly different take had Philadelphia scored on that breakaway. Um, and the reason I say that is because when the goalie got injured, there was a, a about a 10 to 15 minute delay just to get him off the field. Um, wow. So I, I think that there was all that time added. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. I wondered so. why LAFC scored at the 128th minute. Yeah. Because yeah, I, I don't have cable, so I couldn't watch the game and I only have apps and I do. I had an ES, I have an ESPN app, but I'm not Fox. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was wild, but yeah, I was in the box for the whole time and, and God, if you could imagine going from the highs of high to the lows of lows when Philadelphia, when uh, LAFC scored to tie the game, and then when they they won in the shootout, just the energy from the box. It, it was why. And what was even crazier was I think the LA owners box was right next to the uh, Philadelphia oh, okay. box. Yeah, and I wanted Philly to win. I don't like LAFC. I, you know, I'm supposed to be impartial, but like we told the Philly guys, uh, I'm from Jersey and Nikki's from Jersey. So we were pulling for him. Um, we, we didn't have any allegiance to LA other than, you know, we were in their stadium and, and their staff was tremendous, but, and, and, you know, Hey, shout out to all the ML, MLS people. Um, they are, they're like family to me now. They're awesome. And, and if I can turn you on to one sport, it would be MLS, just because the people who put on these games and the people within that league, they're just good people. So yeah, I, I, I like MLS. Yeah. It's, for those of you who don't know, I'm a Portland Timbers fan. <laughs> Portland Timbers lanyard became famous during the 2020 election because I would wear this lanyard with my access card on it. And so I, I don't know how many times I was on CNN and the BBC and other things, and that lanyard would drape down, and the Timbers owner kept getting tweets, or people were kept messaging, "Hey, who's this Atlanta election guy wearing the Timbers lanyard?" And so he ended up getting a hold of me through Twitter at that time through my brother. He sent me a vote, an MLS vote T-shirt, and he's said, "If you're ever up in Portland, we'll get you into my club seats." Now, I Dude. still haven't taken him up on that. He may have to sell the team because of some coaches, uh, some people that he had working on the team that that harassed uh, some women. Ugh. So there's a lot of people that want to want to make him sell the team. Well, one thing that that both my partner and I notice about MLS specifically with the group that we work is it is highly representative of women, um, and it's you know. The, the majority of MLS seems to be a lot of women working at it. So it's great. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, me coming from the tech industry and her from wall street, um, we both noticed that right away that women are highly represented within MLS. So if he's got to sell it because of um, abusive power by men, it, the men are in the minority. So. Well, yeah. And now the timbers have a, the interim, um, uh, the interim general manager, interim president, and I think the interim general manager are both women for the Timbers now. Or the, actually, they named someone to run the Thorns, which is Portland's uh, women's national women's soccer league team. 
Well, and by the way, we're, we've gone on 20 minutes about soccer and playing. Yeah. Soccer, so let's get back to elections. Yeah. So Maricopa County's having problems with some of their scanners. And yeah, so what is that? You may know a little bit more than most people about what, what's actually going on there. Well, so if 20, if the scanners aren't working, they have to print out a paper ballot and put it into a scanner. So if they aren't scanning, I don't know what voting system they have there. I didn't recognize those ballot boxes. But if they if they aren't able to scan those ballots, then they can scan them later uh, when it when they get them back to their central election facility. And so there's an emergency bin that they would just drop their ballots into and then they can scan them. But to have 20 percent not working, it's got to be. They didn't do something right when they programmed the those scanners. Some something's wrong, but it's it's easy for them. But yeah, Maricopa, as I oh, said at the beginning, you know, Maricopa County was one of the few counties, like along with Fulton and a couple others, that had a lot of attention from the conspiracy wackos, and uh, you know, they had the cyber ninjas in there. Their ballots got had re- been recounted already. I think the cyber ninjas went through almost all, if not all of their ballots and which ended up proving that the election results were correct. But still, I mean, I feel bad for the Maricopa people because that's just something you don't want to go through. You don't want to be the headline around the country. Well, with- and, and, and they're saying on Fox news, I just looked it up. Voters have three options if they're at a location and experiencing problems. Stay where you're at and wait for the tabulator to come online. Leave Leave the ballot box in a locked box to be counted at the end of the day or, quote unquote, spoil their ballot and go to a different location uh, where the working where the polling location is working. So, well, I wonder if Arizona is like Georgia when there's really... I went to a polling place earlier today and I talked to a couple other people. No one's voting today. Everybody voted early uh, in, at least in Fulton County and probably all the way through Georgia. Cause the last podcast, we kind of went over early voting turnout with Mark Nisi of the AJC. And so I think that um, there's very, there are very few people today. I think two and a half million people voted early in Georgia and it doesn't sound like there's going to be, you know, too much more than a million today that are going to vote. I have a friend who's up in the Northeast, um, who's actually a, a poll, uh, volunteer worker at the poll and his County, uh, he said they are very proud because they are, are approaching 90% voter turnout. Um, wow. yeah. And it's yeah. not even a contested race. It's I think up in the new England area. So I went, I went to a polling place today to speak, uh, Pittman Park Rec Center, and I was speaking, uh, Jim Galloway from the AJC. I think he's retired political columnist with the AJC. And he, he was, you know, the main, the main guy that would write all the political columns. And he asked me to speak to a group of people from England and Australia. And I think there was a lady from Texas. So we go to the Pittman Park and I'm going to talk to him about my experiences. Now, there's usually there's 150 foot from the door barrier where you aren't supposed to do any electioneering, which I wasn't doing electioneering. Um, I was just talking to this group of 
international people who were there. They're like on a political and economic travel tour, which to me just <laughs> sounds sounds boring as hell. And I and my girlfriend then ended up telling me, well, your podcast has got to be boring as hell, too. I don't know who the hell listens to an elections podcast. She said that today. And so we were laughing about that. And then we, so one of my this this Democratic poll watcher came up and goes, what are you what are you guys doing here? And I said, I'm just talking to them. Uh, this is an international group talking to them about you know, my experiences from 2020 and how elections are now and uh, Senate Bill 202. And she's like, okay, uh, so there's no electioneering going on. I said, no. So she comes back, I don't know, 20 minutes later. And she's like, uh, excuse me, I need to talk to you. So I walk over to her. She goes, no, this is a primarily black area of town. And you are all, these are all white people. And have received a complaint that they're intimidating the black voters. These are these are like most of the people in that group were over 60 years old. Um, there were a couple in their 30s. They were seated on benches. We were laughing and talking. There was no voter intimidation going on. Now, some of these international people were really offended by this, what this lady said. So I was like, I wonder who the hell complained. Well, I turned around and there's Vernetta Nuredin. She was the Democrat, uh, the uh, board member for the Fulton County Board of Registration and Elections. She was always a troublemaker. No one liked her. She was she was the least popular board member I ever had in my nine years there. And she was the one who had been going as a Democrat and going to the Fulton County Republican meetings for months on end and then came out this year as a full on Republican. So, you know, she just she didn't even say hi when I said, hey, Vernetta, how are you doing? She didn't even say hi. She just sat there with her kind of smug, uh, smug, disgusting face. You know, she was giving me some kind of a look. And I don't know. Was it it a power play? I don't. Yeah, probably. She's a piece of work. Um, She's always crabby about something. But. Yeah, so there's Maricopa County, but then there was an article today. Uh, did you also, did you have, was there anything more that you wanted to add about Maricopa that you read? No, just the, the fact that I, I heard the news, and you and I have talked about it before with all the election deniers running in Arizona. Uh, what what Yeah. What immediately went through my mind was they can get rid of the vote and this is a pure example of of why election deniers are are pretty dangerous. They could e- easily just remove Maricopa County, um, and I think the John Oliver show that you were on last Sunday kind of went over this. They could just remove Maricopa County um, from election results based on the fact that they don't trust the results. And so when I'm reading this, I'm like, oh shit. Some people are going to remove Maricopa County, and Maricopa County is heavily Democratic. Yeah, which means that most of Arizona will go to the Republican side, and so the Republican governor, Republican Secretary of State, uh, Republican Attorney General, all of those election deniers will get voted in if they remove Maricopa County, and that's immediately just what what went through my mind. 
Well, I, Bill, Bill Torpy, who's a columnist with the Atlanta Journal Constitution, called me the other night. He was asking me, uh, he just wanted to talk to me about the elections directors that have left. Uh, there, I think there's six of them that he mentioned. And I, I verified that, yes, um, because so Fulton, DeKalb, Gwinnett, Chatham, Bibb, and Richmond counties all had their directors leave. Wow. Cobb is the only one that didn't. And Cobb had that problem that Mark and I talked about in the in the last one where, you know, they didn't mail out over a thousand ballots. And I'm by the way, I'm glad you brought up to, to Mark, hey, that I do meals on wheels. And those are probably the people that they forgot to mail out and the people that probably would be disenfranchised and just missed their vote because they didn't get the absentee ballot. Yeah, that's too bad. And I think I heard that there was a lawsuit that was filed against Cobb County, and they asked a judge to extend the deadline to mm -hmm. receive those ballots back. So at least that happened. A number of the voters canceled their absentee ballots, and they voted early, and then they would have been able to do that again today. So hopefully all of those people were able to vote one way, one way or another. But So he was asking me about these people who have left. And I was just, you know, thought I was providing information. And then he wrote he wrote this opinion piece today about the stop the steal. Uh, or no, it came out yesterday, but somebody called me this morning and read it. And he said, oh, I'm so pissed off about this. I cannot believe you're having to drive Uber. And it's going to be my life's mission to make sure you get whatever job you want. I He goes, this is just I unbelievable that you're having to do this. So Bill Torpy wrote, Richard Barron, the former head of Fulton County elections, drives for Uber these days. He left his post at Fulton County in April after a nine-year tenure that ended in acrimony and a bizarre host of conspiracy theories fueled by a sitting U.S. president. And then he quotes me saying, I went from overseeing a $47 million budget to this. Barron has tried without luck to get hired by a nonprofit election foundation or Actually, there's several of them. He's been told he's been blackballed for his connection to Fulton County and the publicity that might travel with him, kind of like a quote unquote suitcase of ballots. Well, and, and let's not forget denied unemployment as well. Yeah, that's I don't even know if I mentioned that. But yeah, they they denied me unemployment if I haven't mentioned this before, because they said I didn't have a good a good job based reason to leave my 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 post it. The death, threats, the death threats weren't enough. So Baron 56, it says, is a stand-up guy who tried to perform the arduous task of turning around a long, dysfunctional department in the face of frenzy and antipathy. But no matter, he's gone. Fulton Elections Board tried to fire him, but the county commission nixed it. Still, he announced his resignation, but stayed on for months because someone had to run it. And then he quoted me saying, I was just tired of having to fight everyone. And then he went on to say, you know, Barron's exit is not unusual. The six, six of Georgia's most populous counties, representing one-third of the state's voters, have new elections directors this time around. Donald Trump figured he couldn't lose Georgia in 2020, so there had to be widespread ch chicanery, right? Uh, well, no, but the truth didn't stop the former schemer-in-chief from fueling a toxic stew of plots and theories all transferred down to an army of loyalists 
and extremists. The article goes on and on, but um, I just want to say thanks to Bill Torpy for for writing that. And you know, it's it is sad with all the institutional knowledge leaving leaving that, and that's why. I need to get all that paperwork in, Gary, to the FEC to start the super PAC for the the political action committee to support uh, election election for election protection, support elect people that are running for office that will commit to protecting election officials and also to to pass sound election legislation that won't hinder people from voting like has been going on all over the country. Yeah. And, and I agree, you know, I listened to the Mark, I, I wasn't able, I was working with MLS, so I wasn't able to participate in that podcast, but I liked it. And I, I, I really liked Mark and your banter back and forth about, um, uh, the, 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 the Kemp thing with the lawsuit, of, um, back in 2018 over the, uh, the bat, the, the election, uh, I think he denied some folks to be included in the election or canceled like voter registrations on some people. Yeah. Um, there was like a purge. Of yeah. Yeah. And, and that back and forth, Mark kind of, you know, took Kemp's side and said, Hey, he was just doing what he was elected to do. Um, it, there's a difference between doing what you're elected to do and then the interpretation of what you're, you're supposed to do. And I think, yeah, and yeah, I think I mentioned too that I, I thought Kemp got a little bit of a bad rap in that, but I mean, I can understand what Mark was saying. And yeah. it's not like I'm a Kemp fan, so <laughs> I mean, he was okay as a he was better than Raffensperger, um, you know. I, I will give him that, except for the fact because you know, and he ended up standing up to uh, Trump as governor. But yeah, I'm sure he would have done the same. Uh, same thing as Raffensperger in, in recording Trump as well. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm I'm not a Kemp fan by any means, but I, I do appreciate um, when he and Raffensperger stood up to Trump because, you know, look at how many people I, I just watched. By the way, there's a great um, what's the evangel- evangelist name from North Carolina who started the university? Uh, oh, I forget his name. Or- no, not Oral Roberts. He has a kid who helped basically got Trump the evangelical vote. Um, but then he wound up his he wound up being a cuckold who likes um watching his wife with the pool boy. Oh yeah, I, yeah. I Carol or I forget his name. Hold on, let, let me look it up. But he he it's a great documentary um on Hulu. Oh, on Hulu. On Hulu, let me see. It's called "God Forbid" trailer um, about Jerry Falwell and his wife Becky and Giancarlo Bernada. And it is a if you've watched Firefest or any of those documentaries, like those fun ones, that's what this is. And it it brings in Trump. Um, and it was interesting. It was super interesting to see how Michael Cohen uh, was the bad guy who basically got. Jerry Falwell to give Trump the nomination, you know, basically the evangelical vote by saying, Hey, if you're evangelical vote for Trump. And the reason is he's a good evangelical. And the reason was because, um, Michael Cohen had the pictures of Giancarlo with Falwell's wife. So he had to go and give Trump the, uh, the endorsement of the evangelical community. So, (laughs) 
it's a great it's it's called God forbid um God forbid trailer um and and it it's great and you wind up feeling sorry for this kid I mean he's a 20 year old kid with a very pretty you know older woman who wants to have sex with him and he gets suckered in and they wind up giving him money and power and it, it it's a I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. It's eye opening um, to how corrupt some of uh, the politics of Trump is. And and even to the point where to tie that one in Mick Mulvaney, who's the uh, former uh, chief of staff for Donald Trump, who had a pretty good falling out with him uh-huh. um, after the January 6th issue. Right. Uh-huh. Um, and he he was on CNBC this morning saying he thinks Trump can't win in 2024. And the reason is because um, it will be a vote for Trump or against Trump. And there's not enough for Trump in this country. No, I mean, he already lost twice. Right. Popular vote. Right. And the second time he got his clock cleaned. And so that's that's the danger of like Mar- bringing it all back to Maricopa County in Arizona. Because if he gets those secretary of states um, and there's that coalition of secretary of states, like John Oliver said, that if if they get that in there, um, Trump can deny some counties and find those 11,000 votes that he missed out on in Georgia in other places and, and get the electoral college. Well, and, and so. speaking of John Oliver, so I a clip of me listening to a death threat appeared on Sunday night on the John Oliver show, which you can find on, on YouTube if you want. Also, I was supposed to be on the Pamela Brown show on CNN at 5 PM Eastern on Sunday. I got a message late Saturday night said, Pamela uh, has had a situation come up and she will not be working on Sunday. So we're going to cancel you. And then CNN contacted me on Sunday and said, would you be willing to appear on CNN in the new morning show with Don Lemon? And I can't remember the two ladies um, between four and be available between 4 a.m. and 9 a.m. And it sounded like they were going to put me on more than once. I was going to be talking about the Georgia election races. They ended up uh, canceling on me, too. But then today I, oh, and this, so I talked to two people from the New Yorker. The, the, I had a reporter ride along with me today while I was doing Uber, but I talked to somebody else at the New Yorker who said that last week he was talking to someone <clears throat> who said that the Democrats read much more political news than the Republicans do, but that the Republicans uh, who don't consume or don't read much of it end up voting at a higher rate than some of the Democrats. And I told him, well, that, that explains a lot, but, uh, so I had a reporter today and he is going to post something tonight, which is election day in the talk of the town section on the New Yorker website. And then next week there is going to be an article, uh, written by Charles, Bethea, and he is going to do, he did an article, he wrote along with me for a few hours today, uh, or a couple hours, I guess, uh, doing Uber. We picked up, I did a food delivery and, and picked up a couple people, one of whom was a Fulton County poll worker at one point, but oh, she wow. said she wasn't going to vote this time 
because and she's she's a college student in her senior year. And she said she's not voting because the last time she voted, there were all those propositions on there. And she said she couldn't understand them, which a lot of people have that problem because they're written in legalese. And I told her, well, you can always go vote and when in doubt, vote no on those. That's that's what everybody always says to do. If you don't understand it, vote no. That way you're voting for nothing to change at that point. But yeah, so she did that. She, I can't believe someone who was a poll worker wouldn't vote, but you know, and and I forwarded you this too. Uh, There's a guy in Louisiana, uh, Gary Clark, I think his name is. He's running against um, Kennedy. Oh, Kennedy. The 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 guy with the southern accent, a heavy southern accent. Rick, I tell you what, I don't agree with everything the guy stands for. Um, Gary Chambers is his name. You can look him up on Twitter and YouTube. Gary Chambers. I I don't agree with him on everything. Right? You sent me the Instagram stuff. Yeah, but he's on he's on Twitter as well. But he brought up some brilliant points. He said Kennedy. Uh, won Louisiana with 560,000 votes, I think, total. Uh Um, There are 900,000, and and I don't agree with voting just based on the color of your skin, but he said there's 900,000 black people in the state of Louisiana. He said, if I even get half half of those people, I have a chance. Yeah, because the the video you sent me, he was was going through parish by parish, the number – of, of registered black people in each one of those parishes and telling how many of them had voted early. Yep. And it was like it, the mm-hmm. average was 10%. Yep. across. So he needed a gigantic turnout today in order to have a chance of beating. I, oh God, I, I hope he wins. That Kennedy guy is... Kennedy's horrible. Yeah. He used to be a Democrat. Was he? Well, I can't imagine. I mean, this guy, you know, goes with the the, the wind, um, but he he was on air and, and you can kind of tell he's one of those good old Southern boys kind of things. Oh, yeah. Um, and his commercial is called Crackhead. And that's oh. his big line on the commercial. And Gary Chambers is like, don't call your people crackheads. Don't call your constituents crackheads. I don't care if you're, den- you know, saying even the bad ones are crackheads. You don't as a representative, you're representing that crackhead. And yeah. I, I, I just this, the aura of this guy, Gary Chambers, he's again, term limits are number one, because Kennedy shouldn't be in there if we had term limits. Um, and, and two, uh, I think this guy, Gary Chambers brings a, a good light. Again, I don't agree with all of his stance. There's no politician that I agree with a hundred percent. I just like the influx of new, new, new smart thinking. And this guy seems to, when he went over those numbers, Rick, I said that's a guy who's thinking about how to win. Yeah, not only yeah, because it it it's you know we talked about this before on here. If when you're a candidate, and I told this group this morning, I don't believe that the people that that all these election deniers or these candidates that lose elections, they've never played sports because mm-hmm. they don't know how to lose. And if you played sports, you learn how to lose, and so you you get all these these people running for office and they won't concede. And I, and I talked to somebody else today um, 
former state elections director for Georgia, and he uh, he went and spoke to a school, um, a high school, and talked about the the letters of you know when when you concede and the speeches you give, and he he said he read Hillary Clinton's. It was pretty. It was a boilerplate of how you concede gracefully. You congratulate your candidate. You say, I'll, I'll support and work with him and everyone else should. And then he won, won fair and square and that he was the better candidate. Then you get to 2018. He read uh, Stacey Abrams concession speech, which is, well, um, I lost today, but I'm not going to concede. And I'll accept the fact that I'm not governor, but there was shenanigans and and I didn't legitimately lose this. And then two years later in 2020, it's Trump. Everyone stole this election from me. And he full well knew from everybody that was behind the scenes, he told people he knew he lost. But he knows he can manipulate his supporters because they don't really, they listen to everything that he says like they're in a cult. And, but he wanted to tell those, he wanted to tell those people, the, the students, look at where we've come, where we've gone in four years. And so what's next, you know, so it'll be interesting to see how people concede tonight if they lose, because some of these election deniers, God, if they if they win. I don't know if you saw Bill Maher this week, but he painted a horribly disturbing picture of 2024 America if if these people win. And I, I mean. I have to say, I kind of, I agree with him on it. Um, so watch Bill Maher from Friday night. If you want to hear that it's in his, I think it's after new rules. He gives uh, a little dissertation at the end of that. You know, you were talking about documentaries earlier, Gary, have you seen the documentary on HBO? It's a four part series called hostages. It's about the Iranian revolution. no, Oh my God! We watched that the other night. We watched all four episodes. It was so good, uh, and it just goes into detail. It they not only talked to the hostages, but they talked to the former students in Iran that overran the the embassy, the U.S. embassy, and they go into Carter's failed military rescue plan. But you definitely see, well, there comes a fire truck going by right now. I've got the busiest fire station in the city of Atlanta right around the corner from me. I'm surprised my dog didn't start howling. She usually (laughs) howls when the sirens go by. But, I mean, it was fascinating. The U.S. and England just screwed Iran in the 50s, early 50s, like around 1953 by installing the Shah back into power. And the Shah had Iran secular. They they were secular. And but they were at, at an he was at another extreme where they would pull the hijabs off the women that wanted to wear them. Now the Ayatollah, well there's the, there's Khomeini and then there's Khamenei, the the current one. And they make them wear not only do you have to wear them but they will beat you like they did to that Masa Amini who died, the Kurdish woman, you know, probably like two months ago now. They 
she wasn't wearing hers right and they just beat her and then she died. And well, and, and I want to, you know, it's funny because, um, uh, there was a post from the guy in the big short, I forget his name, but the guy, the, the famous investor, and he was, um, quoting Ron DeSantis today about how, uh, Ron DeSantis was posting about how he, um, got the quote unquote woke mob out of the education of Florida. And, you know, it's funny because I, as you're describing the, uh, Iranian revolution, uh, I consider the people revolting against the Iranian revolution, basically the people who, the citizens who are saying we're sick of government, we're sick of you. I consider those people the woke mob. And and I'm pretty happy that I might be called the woke mob. um, Because if somebody's telling me that, that, you know, things should stay the same and we should go back to the way things were in the forties and fifties when, you know, families were wholesome and blah, blah, blah. I don't want to go back there, you know. No, that's men sub- subjugating women. Yeah. That is, uh, that is having minorities with uh, few to no rights. And Women couldn't vote. No. Nah. You know, up until what, 1960 or something? No, 1918, I think, was suffered. 18 or something. But, you know, again, you, you, for somebody to say it's a woke mob. Well, I'd rather be awake than asleep. Well, and and why is everyone so threatened about educating history the way it really happened rather than trying to whitewash it? Um, DeSantis is just, he's an insecure, you can see it in his face that he's an insecure, petty little weakling. I mean, yeah. And plus, anybody that goes and steals Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders to wear them to a hurricane. Well. And I, I like the fact that they, um, you know, he stand he ever since he met Trump, he stands with the top of his hands out and his shoulders back the way Trump does. It's an awkward stance, and one hundred percent. I didn't even notice that. Oh, it's so fun. I, you know, there's all kinds of memes out there on it, but yeah, I'm not a DeSantis fan whatsoever because I think he's just a bully. I mean, he's well, just. But Charlie Crist just ripped him a new, yeah, bunghole. I'm not a Charlie Chris fan. I, I honestly, I didn't like him as a governor before. No, um, and, and he, I mean, he's running as a Democrat now. Wasn't that he not a Republican before? He was, but you know, I guess at some point the Republicans have moved so far to the right and so far to the crazy. You can't. I mean, can you stay in that party if you're a moderate? That was what he said. He said, I'd be happy to run as a, a Republican, but I don't recognize the Republican Party anymore. And, and the now, Democrat, you know, and the Republicans now keep talking about, you know, not raising the debt ceiling and how they're going to spend a little money. Trump and the Republicans spent a shit ton of money. Well, Mick Mulvaney, like I talked about, the ex chief of staff for uh, Trump. When they went through the tax cuts, CNBC specifically asked Mick Mulvaney, why are you cutting taxes, which means you're cutting the income of the U.S. government, but not cutting the spending? And 100%, his answer was, there is currently no climate in uh, in Washington to cut spending. And right. so they increased the spending. So you increase spending and you cut taxes. So- we were, you know, bound to for the the start of this inflation war. 
I, I don't think that the Democrats did themselves any favor by increasing spending with the second round of COVID. I didn't particularly agree with that. But the first round of COVID, uh, the t- Trump tax cuts and the increase in spending, you want to look at the start of the inflation? That's the start of it. That's that's ground zero. So, yeah, it, you know. It always, you know, the thing is, Biden's been in now for almost two years, but usually in the first, whatever was going on in the previous administration affects the new administration for a couple of years. Yeah, and his problem is he hasn't done anything to stop the spending. That's the the biggest issue I have with Biden is he, I had hopes, but he's had to appease the extreme left. Well, I'm not sure if it's accurate, but they keep claiming that the deficit has actually decreased under Biden. That's because the 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 decrease in COVID spending. Oh, that's the only reason. That, uh, from take it from a financial guy here, the only reason is the decrease in COVID spending. Um, that would, not, would yeah, make sense. Uh, that you know, Elon Musk is uh, fact checking all of uh, the White House's and Biden's Twitter now. Uh, and it's great. You know, Biden put out a tweet the other day that the um, the real cost of gas was $3.09 per gallon. And Twitter fact-checked him. There's, I guess there's two calculations of the average cost of gas and then the real cost of gas or, some, or the wholesale cost of gas. And politicians typically choose which one's lower. Uh, well, the real cost of gas was $3.09. The actual um, average cost of gas is like $3.60. So, you know, the, the cost hasn't come down. I love Elon Musk in charge of Twitter. I, I'm, 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 I'm not a fan of um, political speak from either side. And if you spin things, things are tough. And if the Democrats would just say, we know things are tough, we're going to open up more drilling uh, we're not going to open up all the drilling, but we're going to open up more drilling so that we're a little bit more energy, um, you know, independent, competitive, independent, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I, I did, Trump went extreme by allowing people to drill in, in lands that shouldn't be drilled in, build pipelines in, in areas we shouldn't be building pipelines in. And make no mistake about it, if you deny a pipeline, uh, and the oil still has to get to a different place somehow. So the only reason when you deny a pipeline, the way it gets there is either by rail or by truck. It's yeah. still getting there. It's just in a more efficient way by pipeline. So again, I think both sides have to come together and you have to find middle ground. There's a, there's a location for pipelines. There's a good way of doing pipelines. Um you know, maybe start a nationalism type of pipeline. I'm, well, I'm not a fan of federal prison. I mean, we can go on and on about the the, the cost of this stuff, but the, the the Democrats just aren't doing things very well right now. Having people work together is almost impossible with gerrymandering and the current way the the primary system in all the states is set up. I right mean, until they. Until something's done about gerrymandering, uh, we're just going to keep having extremists on both and term sides limits. running. And none term of these, limits. Yeah, none of these people are capable of compromising. There yeah. used to be big, the middle, you know, there used to be a lot of moderates. And I don't know that there are, there are, there are any moderates. If there are, there are very few. 
Um, you've got a few people like Murkowski and Susan Collins and uh, on the Republican side in the Senate, but at the same time, you know, they always seem to cower uh, when the pressure gets on them over certain things. Yeah. But anyway, I think, do you have anything left that you wanted to cover? Uh, other than Frank Luntz, who's a famous public Republican pollster, and I'll leave you on this one. He said if Trump does run in 2024, uh-huh. he, will lo- he will lose. And they asked him, well, why do you think that? And it basically, he said, any other Republican can beat any Democrat in 2024, as long as things are going the way that they're going. Um, But Trump will lose to any Democrat that that actually runs. And the reason is, it's not a vote for Trump, or it's not a vote for the Democrats. It's a vote against Trump. And there are more people against Trump in this country than for Trump. Uh, Yeah, was he there was the guy on CNBC that you were talking about earlier? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Frank Lutz is Lutz is his name. He's a he's a he understands things from a voter's perspective, and I, I've seen him do some things like even in the 2020 election, he went over how Trump was performing poorly. Um, how you know he was attacking Biden for being in the basement, and I remember uh, some of his uh, kind of rhetoric about. Trump's just not doing well. He's not doing, you know, his his, his um, attacking uh, Biden is not going well in the face of voters. Now, remember him being a, specifically a Republican. Um, in fact, the guy the guy's kind of douchey in that he actually has a mock up of the Oval Office in his house. The guy, huh? has been, no, no, this is Frank Lance. Oh, when he's on um, CNBC, sometimes he sits in this mock up. <laughs> of the Oval Office. So he is kind of douchey. I mean, he's kind of douchey in that fact, but um, you know, I, I do trust his his look at the elections. And he did say today's votes um that are going for the Republicans are not for the Republican Party. It's a hundred percent not for the Republican Party. He said if they do win and there is a red wave, it is just against the Democratic Party not for the Republicans. So he said the Republicans should not be jumping up and down and celebrating. And that's like the Democrats have all been running on just a couple of things. The, uh, the conspiracy election deniers, which I, I think they should be harping on. I personally, I think they, they should be more aggressive on that than they are. And they've been running on the abortion issue and they haven't been talking about the economy enough or pointing out the reasons why the economy is where it is. And a lot of it has to do with the Ukraine war. And the Republicans are going to get in there and just try to cut spending for the Ukraine war, but which is just so short-sighted. Well, and that's- Cheney was right the other day by saying, if these Republicans were around during the Cold War, we would have lost it. Yeah. 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 And, and, and Luntz also said, you know, um, he believes that, if the Republicans do win, that we're in for gridlock, which might be good for the markets, he said. But uh, what will be bad for the markets is if the extremists on the in the Republican Party actually push through agendas of all the investigations that they want to do into Hunter Biden, uh, into the 2020 election, into things of that sort, he said, then you actually wind up dividing the country more. And Sometimes so- when I've been watching news lately, I've been wondering 
how actually, I don't know if there are as this many people out there that are crazy or if they're just finding them to put them on the news to sell advertising and create headlines. Yeah. I, I don't, it seems like some of this controversy that the media is hyping up. I, I cannot believe that there are this many people that believe in this crap. And I hope that the media is just finding the kooks and putting them on it. That they're a tiny portion of these voters. It's smaller. It's smaller than I think um, the news plays it up to be. But it's larger than I think the average person who doesn't want to watch the news would think. Yeah, I mean, you know, some of those polls that poll Republican attitudes are, I mean, it's real. I mean, it's like 70% of these Republicans running for office this time don't believe in the legitimacy of the 2020 election. Now, that's scary. Yeah. Uh, But anyway, that's for another day. All right. Uh, we've got Gary Vaughn with Daily Stock Picks at Daily Stock Picks 3 on Twitter. And you can see him all every morning on YouTube Live at 9 a.m., right? That's 8.39. 8.39. You go on there and basically advise people on what they should buy, when. I advise, uh, listen, I don't, I'm advise, not. But you make suggestions. Yeah, I give them. Uh, I look at the charts. So like today, SOXL. Um, was one, it's a triple levered ETF on the semiconductors. Uh-huh. And I said, buy it under 10. Um, it dipped down to about $9 and 60 cents today. Uh-huh. And you could have sold it around 10, 10, 60. Good 10% move. So nice. yeah, 10% in a day. I'll take it. Yeah. All right. We'll uh, we'll be back. This is Richard Barron with the Election Insider. I'm at Richard Barron two on Twitter, and that's the Roman numeral two. And we will see you next time after the election results. Bye.